Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Here we want to help you think about culture in a way that honors God, in a way that takes every thought captive to King Jesus. I'm Ryan Aris, and this is episode 14 of season 2 of the podcast for Cultural Reformation. Thanks for sticking it out with us. Cultural Reformation plays the long game, and we're focusing this season on cultural pressure points. Where is the ground shifting under our feet? And what does the timeless, authoritative Word of God call normal? Dr. Ben Merkel is my guest today, and he's the president of New St. Andrews College in Moscow, Idaho. He talks about the true purpose of education, the revival of classical Christian schooling, how we've made an idol of education in our age, and the fast-approaching higher education cliff that we're driving off. And we also hear from a Christian college president why college, and Christian college in particular, are not for everyone. Ben Merkel, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, Ben, um, you're the president of, uh, of New St. Andrews College in Moscow, Idaho. Um, the other NSA is what I've been told. That's right, yeah, the other NSA. Awesome. So I guess uh, what, what's, what everyone, everyone who I know wants to know, first of all, is um, what's, uh, what's with the name? Yeah, so um, it was back before there was a great fear of people uh, tapping your line to listen to your phone calls. So th- I, I think that uh, acronym didn't quite have the same meaning then, but it was uh, um, New St. Andrews. So St. Andrews in Scotland was used uh, significantly by the Lord in the Scottish Reformation for um, uh, faithful gospel preaching. And so I think the idea was to um, honor that legacy in the Presbyterian uh, tradition and uh, made it uh, New St. Andrews. Um, I did. I had a baseball hat that had NSA on it, and I was uh, a year ago. I was in a series of meetings in Washington D.C. and walking around with my hat on and <laughs> getting weird looks, and then suddenly realizing that that first it, it has a different connotation there than it does here, and second that to the extent that it has that connotation, it's not normal to advertise it. Yeah, yeah, they're not uh, they're not a wing of government that uh, that focuses on branding, are they? Yeah, well, I mean, just to make it even more interesting, we're New St. Andrews, we're NSA, and we're in Moscow, uh, Mo- Moscow, Idaho, right. uh, spelled just like <laughs> Moscow, Russia. So it just uh, we have to do a lot of clarifying. Yeah, for sure. Ben, how did uh, how did New St. Andrews come to be? What's the, what's the rationale for starting a uh, a private Christian college? Yeah, so uh, NSA was started in 1994. Uh, it grew out of the classical Christian education movement, so that movement began in uh, 1980 at Logos School here in Moscow, Idaho, and then um, really kind of took off nationally in 1990 uh, with the publishing of Recovering Lost Tools of Learning. And so as that movement really spread, then there, um, and, and what had happened was that there was a long and kind of critical look at what we were doing in the K-12 um, education um, and a number of schools started, associations, association of classical Christian schools, um, and then it also spilled over into the homeschooling world. So now you probably have, um, I don't know, I, I think there's probably three times as many kids getting classical education through homeschooling now as there are in uh, regular institutional schools. So, so you had this kind of questioning everything, rethinking it, and, um, and turning out a far better model, I think, in the classical Christian education movement K-12, that then said, well, if this is the case at K-12, then how much more do we need to rethink what's going on at college? 
and NSA grew out of that, like I said, starting in, in 94 and takes a quite a different look at uh, what um, college should be like, what college is for, and particularly how college can bless the church and, and, and what it does in the formation of Christian lives. Oh, interesting. So uh, with, with regards to um, start, starting up a, uh, a relatively new college in, in the early, earlier mid-90s, um, we've got, uh, we're, we're in the midst of, sort of a few different, uh, different sort of cultural and technological phenomena that, uh, that are making, making us rethink, uh, rethink the whole idea of college from a few different perspectives. Uh-huh. Um, like you've got, uh, you've got a current attitude among a lot of people that college is for everybody. And like that never, that never used to be the attitude. College was seen right. as a, a kind of, um, a specialized or a, a privileged position to or goal to uh, to push towards. Not it wasn't for everybody, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that that's really done a lot of um, harm to education. This notion there's a, there's a couple pieces to it. First of all, there's this kind of socialist assumption that we want to even everything out, so we want to make sure everybody gets the same thing, regardless of whether it's the best thing for them, mm. um, and so. So you do have, you know, with Bernie Sanders wanting to have college um, be be right there for everybody. It should be free. It's like a moral imperative that everybody get a college education. Um, I think that there's a, um, a a poorly thought through sort of socialist um, underpinnings to that um, that that is resentful of any sort of anything that resembles uh, an elite or exclusive whatever. Um, and, and the fa- fact is that not all career paths, not all uh, personal intellects require what's going on at college. And so I know it's weird for college presidents to say that, but I do think we really overestimated what college uh, can do and and, um, have an unrealistic assumption that it's something that everybody ought to have. And I'd combine with that, though, also a... um, in As we have lost our sight on Christ and the gospel... Um, all the little false gods like are, are quick to rush in and take the place that only Christ can fill. Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, in our age, um, education is easily one of the largest gods on the pantheon of, of idols that we serve right now. And so we really have um, this deep belief, and we, I just mean sort of um, the, the, the um, increasingly atheist West, um, we have this belief that education, there's no problem education can't solve, and that when people are in trouble, are in poverty, are in you know injustice or whatever, that the problem is because they haven't been educated, and if they just had somebody to tell them they shouldn't do that, then they would stop and not do that anymore. And so, uh, which is a really a misguided understanding of human nature and the fall and all that, but because they believe that, um, it is... Um, you know, politicians, it's a it's a really easy thing. You can there's a sort of virtue signaling that happens whenever you see a problem. Well, all you do is you fund education for that, and therefore you've somehow, you know, bravely addressed the problem. And then the schools, on the other hand, you know, they they there's a there's a um, not very helpful synergy between the politicians and their virtual sing, virtue signaling of funding things with the institutions who never will ever say no to more money. Right, right. And, and so they're constantly making claims about the new things that they can address and cure and fix if only we would, um, you know, build schools and not bombs or something like that. 
And so, so there's, a, there's this constant desire to funnel money into this, thinking that somehow it's going to deliver us. So the claims for what education will do just keep getting more and more grandiose um, because there's more and more money to be claiming. Yeah, yeah, and I've 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 heard you speak before about some of the uh, some of the problems in higher education with regards to funding, um, but uh, it's not uh, it's not what most people automatically think of when they hear funding problems and higher education in the same t- same sentence. Um, yeah, I, well, I, I think that there's a um, the th- there's a coming crisis in higher ed because we are driving off a cliff with the current funding models. Um, and nobody wants to do the hard work of challenging the way we're doing it and changing it. Everybody's just going to keep driving towards a cliff, even though they know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. I've, I've been in the room when college presidents talked about the cliff that they were all driving at, and they literally described it like that. We're all driving on a cliff. There's nothing we can do, and we laugh and keep doing it. But but what's happening is because you have this, um, the, this um, wealth of government money that's coming in to fund the whole thing, um, the, the price, the... Uh, expected price keeps going up because uh, even though there's there's a sort of socialist system that's driving it, they're capitalists at heart. Because what happens is um, every businessman knows you you never leave money on the table. Like um, so, mm-hmm. if I was going to sell a car to you and I was planning on charging you twelve grand, and then I find out that you came with seventeen grand in your pocket, well, guess what? The, the price just went up. It's going to cost seventeen grand now. Now that I know. Yeah. You have five yeah. grand more than I thought you had. Um, we adjust our price to see uh, according to what we think the market will pay. And what happens is um, as the government has stepped in and started funding these things, the colleges have um, radically recalibrated what they believe they need in order to complete this education. So the cost goes up and up. And so it's really interesting if you watch over the last 30 years, look at the increase in the cost of health care, um, and it's gone up quite a bit over the last 30 years, but I'd also say that our healthcare has actually gotten a little bit better over the last 30 years. Look at that same graph, and you'll find that the cost of a college education has doubled in increase. It's doubled that of um, of the host, of a um, healthcare. And I don't think our colleges have actually increased that much. It's not because it's gotten more expensive or the quality's gone way up. It's that the more you, you find federal money subsidizing this thing, the more colleges are saying, oh, our tuition needs to go up because there's this new thing. We realize that if we don't have a climbing wall for our students and if we don't have a lazy river for our students and if we don't have um, this, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, diversity, office, whatever, mm-hmm. if we're not providing all of these services, it's not a real true education. And so it's ridiculous, the inflation in uh, college education. But if you were to look at a lot of these schools and actually do – the math to figure out how much of that um, tuition money, how, how much of the funding that's going in is actually going to pay for a teacher teaching someone in a classroom. It's shocking how little of, the, um, of, that, of that income is actually paying for the educational experience. Right. You're paying for a whole host of things that you will not take with you after you graduate. You know, the education is what you walk out with, but all of these other things are what your student loans are paying for. Right, right. So it's not uh, it's not like it's dramatically increased funding for for research or for um, I don't know classroom materials. Yeah, it's it, it's mostly it's it's campus uh, um, 
building projects. I had one president once told me, he said, like, if I, I feel like if I don't have a crane on my campus, I'm not doing my job. You know, they, 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 they exist um, for massive building projects and, um, and all these other initiatives that really, like I said, they don't really um, help in the classroom. There's a really interesting um, uh, podcast. The name, of it, uh, the name of the particular episode was uh, My Little Hundred Million, and it was a, um, a deep dive into the larger gifts to various college campuses. And one, there was a really telling moment where the guy who's hosting uh, the podcast uh, is interviewing the president of Stanford, and he's, 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 it's a kind of a game of chicken, and he's asking the president of Stanford to imagine a gift to the, to the school at which the president would say, you know what, that's, that's more than we need. We don't need that much. You should give it to somebody else. And he, you know, he's, he gets them from $100 million and, and he keeps going up, and he, he literally cannot find the dollar amount where the president of Stanford will say, we don't need that. There's no, there's no ceiling. So, so the... Um, it, it's a it's a, a black hole what um, educators believe they need in order to do their job is a is an insatiable black hole you you cannot give them enough for them to say ah we're we're done we don't need any more right now is uh, is this the case um, you just you described Stanford uh, is this the case at the the huge state and public universities or yeah, yeah, but it, it's, it's less with the private donors. It's going to be at your state legislature. I mean, have, have you ever had, the, have you ever had your state universities show up to the state legislature for the discussion about funding? Has there ever in the last let's let's go all fifty states last twenty years? Has there ever been a time when when uh, the university showed up and said, actually, we need less? Right, um, right. What you've given us is too much. Um, we, if you know how government bureaucracies work, when you when you get a um, a funded line in your budget, usually the way it works is whatever you didn't spend at the end of the year will be um, cut from the line the following year, yeah. and so that's where you you have ridiculous spending just because you got to empty every every line out so that you can make sure you get it the next year, mm-hmm. um, and and there's never a moment where they show up and say. We're good. We we have a surplus. Yeah. We've yeah. Uh, we've managed to, we've managed things so responsibly that we don't need you this next year. And is that uh, do do Christian colleges have a uh, have an analog to that? Yeah, I mean, well, well, my introduction to this world has been in conversations with uh, other Christian colleges. It's uh, private Christian schools are um, are right in the middle of this, and I, I find it. Um, really kind of disheartening to see how that works. And, and what's really um, deceptive, and you don't notice this, is that um, the private Christian colleges, um, you know, that word private is pretty um, um, mis- misleading because mm. if you dive into the typical budget of a private Christian school, you'll find that they get more money from the federal government via various grants but then to the school, but then also the the student loans that go to the students and then come in as tuition, and then the Pell Grants, which go to students and then come in as tuition. Um, you think that they're getting this much out of tuition. Well, the bulk of their tuition is actually coming from the federal government. And even though it comes in through tuition revenue, it comes in with strings from the federal government that you, that your institution now must fulfill certain federal guidelines because you've taken Pell Grants and student loans. And so that's where things like definition of marriage, mm-hmm. definition of gender, 
how you're going to handle sexual uh, assault accusations, all of those, your policy on how you're going to do that, like um, what kind of, how you're going to label your bathrooms. Will these be men's rooms and women's rooms, or, or is there some, some sort of mix that you've got to come up with? That's all heavily influenced by the, the strings that are attached to that federal money. And so even though it's private in one sense, it actually has to answer to the federal government in ways that you, you probably don't realize are there. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Who uh, who takes the king's coin becomes the king's man. Yep. That's, that's exactly it. I heard somebody else put it recently. If you take the shekels, you get the shackles. Yeah, yeah that's good, too. Yeah. Um, so how, how's NSA dealing with uh, with that reality? Well, what... It's it's simultaneously it is um, tight and difficult. We have to be very disciplined um, in order to to do this because we we don't take any of the federal money, so we don't take the student loans, we don't take the Pell grants. Mm-hmm. There are a number of other schools that are like us that do that. Right. Um, so so um, we don't take any of those things. Now we're um, some of those schools, uh, Grove City and Hillsdale, are really known for that same position. They do have the benefit of a fairly significant endowment, and we're we're operating on no endowment at the moment. Someday it would be nice to have some of that offset uh, with an endowment. Um, but so we we don't take in the federal money, and um, we also really work to keep our tuition as low as we possibly can. So a typical edu- a typical private Christian liberal arts college is going to be in the low thirty thousand annually in tuition, and we're this next year going to be thirteen thousand one. Um, so we really look to cut the expenses down to the bare minimum but what so on the one hand it requires this real discipline but on the other hand there's this real freedom that comes with that well first of all because we don't take the federal money there are all these different um, administrative offices you don't need because a lot of the administration bloat is your reporting on how what you know the reports you have to file in order to get the federal money well we don't have to do that so we can actually trim things down quite a bit which is really helpful yeah and then the other thing we do is we really focus on maximizing the number, you know, the, the, the dollar amount of our tuition that is going towards paying for the, the classroom is maximized. And so what we find is when you, when you do the hard work to have that discipline and you, you do live slim on certain things, we're not going to, we don't give our students a climbing wall or a lazy river. Um, one of, one of our, our uh, marketing guy put out a little thing and says at, at New St. Andrews, we, we don't have a lazy river. We don't have a lazy anything. Uh, and, <laughs> That's good. And that, so, so you do have to, there's a certain amount of discipline and work and focus you've got to have to do that. But what we find is that the result is actually remarkably freeing and really, really productive because suddenly what you find is now we're focusing on the classroom. And, and by not having this um, administrative bloat and this financial bloat, we find I think we actually are giving a superior education because we're focusing on the product that we're intended to deliver. So we find that, I mean, we don't have a problem getting our kids. We Multiple kids have sent off to Oxford for grad school, to Harvard, to Duke, Notre Dame. We, we turn out a superior product, I believe, with, a, um, with quite a bit um, more meager budget, but it's just because we're forced, forced to actually focus on the thing that matters. Right. So I, uh, I asked you a minute ago about um, the one side of this, uh, this attitude that college is for everybody. Uh, but so- something that I've noticed, and uh, I'm not sure if it's the same uh, in the States, but uh, there's this, uh, this sort of 
pushback or counter attitude because people are are seeing these uh, these same issues or detecting some of these same problems and um like cheap or free e-learning solutions and sort of like or pay as you go a la carte kind of courses uh delivered virtually those are kind of skyrocketing um so why does uh why would somebody go to a brick and mortar school right yeah, well, I, I think that those things are, are useful just because it's always good to destabilize um, the market a little bit and, and make everybody question why are you getting what you're getting. Um, I think what we'll find is over time, those the, there's going to be sort of a sifting out, and there and um, and you you start to realize what you can do and what you can't do with those kinds of courses. I find those things. Um, I mean, I, there's lots of things I listen to when I travel, just to be informed, to mm-hmm. be challenged, and whatnot. Um, and they're really useful for just an ongoing professional um, uh, professional development to challenge you, as well as when you have specific um, vocational skills that you're trying to get um, um, certified in or competency in. They can be really useful for that. I don't think that in the long run we're going to find that they really um, offer a legitimate competitor to what a true college education was intended to be. Um, a true college education is a far more immersive. You 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 um, you are dropped into something that changes the way you think, that develops and and um, develops your your intellect, that challenges you at at very profound levels. I don't think we're ever going to see uh, you know the iTunes University right. give have that kind of effect. Um, you you can't um, so so we we try to come up with occasional distance education um, components to New St Andrews and um, but more often than more often than not what I find is that we're not capable of really getting into the electronic medium what we could do here on, on location um, the the enrollment here is um, as much a, an enrollment in the community as it is in the course. Our students are over at our instructors' houses for dinner. I'm going to have um, a little bit after we finish recording this. We have a practice of we have the entire freshman class over to our house once a week for for soup night. Oh wow! Oh, wow. They'll come over and hang out. Uh, they'll do homework together. They'll sing together. There's a whole um, enculturation that is happening that I don't think you can capture in an online medium. Now. I you don't want I don't want to be a luddite because um, my, my father-in-law is fond of pointing out how a book is distance education. You know, you write a book, you publish a book, you you mail it out, and Amazon and somebody on the other side of the world gets it and reads it and learns something from it. That's distance education. So yeah, yeah. we will we will always distance education has been with us for a long time, and uh, we need to not be scared of it. But we also I don't want to overestimate what it can do. And, but I, I think the trick is is you have to really define very carefully what you mean by a college education. And, and that goes back to our earlier thing about we've been trying to use a college education to do things that I don't think it ever was intended to do because we've, we've reduced it to basically um, vocation training. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you noticed over the last 50 years, all of our degrees have changed to names of jobs. And so there's this expectation that when you when you sign up for that degree, that means that you got the job that was named by the name of that degree, and and we've reduced it down to just vocation training, which to be honest, I don't think college is actually that good at. Um, most 
you know, most jobs, when you show up the first day on the job, that's when you start your vocation training. Your college education um, maybe prepared you in some ways, but the bulk of real learning how to do a job happens at the job. Um, right. And and so by, by changing it to vocation, um, I think it's because America has gotten far more soulless. Like, we, we don't know what an education is even for. And so we think of it now as just job certification. And, and then, um, and I think there, there's actually kind of a, a bigger point here just about how Christians think about education that's really important. Um, because over the last, um, you know, I, I've been in the job of president now for four years, and it's been a really interesting kind of um, introduction to uh, the way people are thinking about college. Because when I speak to parents now, parents of prospective students, what's really interesting is the way that the dominant um, sort of flavor in the air whenever I have a conversation with them mm -hmm. is this um, really incredible sense of fear that parents have and a little bit from the students, but there's this, um, they're scared that, um, it, it, it's like they've started to believe that the world is this um, whirring, um, humming machine that is really shiny and slick and going a thousand miles an hour with all of these gears spinning and that their job is to take their child and put them in the right degree program so that they could be cut and, and, and sanded and molded to be a perfectly shaped gear that they can then, you know, throw into the machine. And if they've done their job right, the machine will accept them and they'll have a job. But if they've done their job wrong and, and gotten like a useless degree, then the machine will reject them and they spend their whole life as a Starbucks barista, you know, like, and, and so they're terrified when they think about the, the college that their kids go to because they're, they're trying to figure out how do I give this kid what they need to have so that the machine will accept them. But what happens is, is that it, it creates this dominant sense of fear and this sense of, like, you have to do everything exactly right for the machine to accept you and a fear of challenging anything. But as a Christian it puts you in this really subservient sort of role, like where you're really scared to challenge, you're scared to threaten, you're scared to do the thing that would get you rejected, and everything is about trying to be accepted. But as Christians, that's just a really messed up way of thinking about your relationship to the world. Like, we're the, um, you know, we're, we're the we're the ones who are supposed to be taking the gospel to the world. We're the priests of the world. We're supposed to be shaping the world instead of being shaped to be accepted by the world. You know, we don't want to be conformed to the image of the world. We want, we want to press the world into the image of Christ. And so I think that that whole way of thinking about careers makes Christians not very salty in their, in their Christianity because they're so scared of being whether they'll be accepted, and if they're not accepted, they won't get a job, and they won't get, and their life will be ruined. And um, so our take on that is, you know, we have a, a liberal arts degree, which is very, very different. You know, like like that's the the degree that everybody is terrified the machine will reject. Mm -hmm. But the point of it is that we're giving, we want to give the kids the skills of cultural leadership. We want them to be the ones not to be accepted by the machine, but to build the machine, to go out and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own the company. I'm going to build the company. I want to be the manager. I want to be the boss instead of the one who's scared whether or not their resume will be accepted. Um, so it's a completely different take on what we're trying to do at college. And, I, and that, what I just described, 
is not something for everybody. Not everybody needs that. But there is a really important section of the, the church that needs that kind of education. What, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, what do, you, what do you think is responsible for this? Uh, what's behind this, this fear and this anxiety to, uh, to, you know, be, as you said, to be sanded down just right and fit, uh, fit into the machine? It's a loss of a Christian worldview and being replaced by this materialistic worldview where um, where you're you you know like I said you, you you believe it's it's this machine that you serve at its pleasure instead of believing this is a world that we've been called to subdue mm-hmm. you know so 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 think of um, uh, you know when, when the pilgrims landed on the east coast of uh, the United States of the American continent um, the, how many jobs were there like you know right. when, yeah. when, when they landed there where was the employment office that they could go to, go to and say, okay, what what um, marketable skills do I have that can fit the list that you're asking for? Yeah, yeah. Starbucks wasn't even hiring. There's no, there are no jobs. What there was was a lot of work. And see, free men and free women, which is what Christians are supposed to be. We should be the freest of all people. Mm-hmm. When they walk in, they don't walk in scared about what will accept them or or, or, or who will make room for them. They walk in knowing that they serve the the Lord of the universe, and that there is people, and they get to work, and they and they build. Um, but but that that kind of mindset is um, is you know, that's been lost. I mean that that, that kind of Christian ethos has, has been lost, and we think in terms of that system is out there, and um, and I need to figure out how to get into it, or or I need to. Um, resent how the system hasn't accepted me and file charges. But we don't think about, like, no, stand up and build something yourself. That's the way Christians are supposed to think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, when, when, you, when you talk about build something, um, and you had mentioned you know, start a business, start a company, be the, uh, be the one who, who makes the jobs. Um, but, I mean, when you think of building, you don't, uh, you don't often think of it as something you need to go to college for. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't think um, most um, most professions like most professional skills don't really need a college degree to um, acquire them. And I know that's heresy for a college president to say <laughs> that, but I think that it, it, it's crazy to me, all these college degrees that we're coming up with in order to teach people how to do things that you didn't need a college degree for that. It's ridiculous to think that you need a college degree to acquire those those, those skills. Um, and, and a lot of the classes you'll go to are just complete wastes of time where we're trying to invent things that you somehow needed to know in order to have this profession. Um, I, I just don't think that it's the best way for prepping people for careers. What a college degree does is it preps you to be a certain kind of person. It, it enculturates you. That's what education is supposed to do. It teaches you to be a certain kind of person, as well as it does teach you, um, as it relates to profession, I think what a college degree is really used for is for teaching you the soft skills of leadership. So, so what you're finding is we've had this huge boom um, with everybody looking for STEM. You know, we yeah. want science, technology, engineering, uh, medicine. So, so there's this real focus on those courses. Well, what you're finding now is the companies who have been hiring all STEM now will say, 
gosh, we've got all these people with these STEM skills, and they have zero ability to to climb from that entry level work, uh, that entry level position, mm-hmm. because they don't have any ability to communicate. They 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 don't have any ability to think critically. They don't have any ability to work independently. They don't have an ability to like manage other people. And what you find are are a lot of these disciplines that um, these these college degrees that have been denigrated for a while, the purpose of those degrees was to actually teach people how to have those skills of leadership. Um, the old the old liberal arts degree from the medieval era was the degree, well, the, the word liberal uh, comes from the Latin word liber, which is the Latin word for a free man. The liberal arts were the arts, which are the habits and skills of the free man, the one who's actually the boss and the leader of others. And so in the old Oxford-Cambridge world, that's that's what that degree was intended to do, was to teach you how to um, communicate, how to um, think critically, how to communicate persuasively, and how to lead others. That's what was going on in those classes. And it's interesting, I was meeting a little while ago with a guy who built and managed the largest hospital network in the U.S., largest network of hospitals around. And I was asking him, like, huh. you know, how, what's the pathway to get into that kind of position? I said, I assumed that he had started as a doctor right. and worked his way up. And he said, oh, no, 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 doctor, a doctor couldn't do what I did. I was a philosophy major. Um, <laughs> nice. It's, and uh, it, it's, it's, those are the places where you're actually learning these critical skills. It's interesting, a, a company I was just talking to, they track the data for how degrees perform in the workforce. And somebody's pointing out to me, he said that the, the, you know, the contention is always the liberal arts degree is that that's what you like fries with that uh, college yeah. degree. And, and he said, it, it's interesting though, it's, it's true liberal arts degrees, that first step into the workforce, they're not stepping into those really competitive engineering jobs or, or whatever. But he said, what's interesting is if you trace the degree, Look at, the, look at the second hire, and mo- most people don't do this. Look at the, the second job that you get with a liberal arts degree, and the most common second job with liberal arts degrees is management. Um, mm. it's, it's moving into those positions of leadership. Now, I think it's, 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 there's a lot of um, garbage in the data because you have to, at the same time, be realistic that over the last 50 years, secular institutions and increasingly Christian institutions, the liberal arts disciplines have become total garbage. So, so the um, the lit teacher, who uh, the philosophy teacher, who have no absolute truth, no absolute meaning to the text, mm-hmm. are complete relativists and are captivated by really goofy uh, modern critical theories. Those are not going to be as fruitful as as the degree was intended to be but when you when you rest that kind of curriculum on a really robust and evangelical commitment to the lordship of Christ in all things and a deep understanding of his word so when you have the word of god as solid um then other words can stand on it and be much more firm and it becomes a really rigorous education because that's that's the education that you know C.S. Lewis got. That's yeah. that's the, the thinkers that we most admire. That's the education they got, and that's the education that made them into the the men and women that they are. Um, but it was when the liberal arts were in a orthodox evangelical setting. Um, 
So, so I'm not saying that every liberal arts degree. There's some that are just, just goofy and hokey, um, and and I and deserve all the the scorn that they get. <laughs> but when you when you put it in a in a robust evangelical world, I think you actually get something pretty um, pretty fruitful. So in um, this this is a bit of a pivot, but um, it as you talk as you're talking there, it just got me thinking about um, the uh, the liberal arts degree. Uh, ideally, is uh, what's or yeah, what's the relationship between a K to twelve education and then a college education? What's the uh, is this a, a continuation of of grade twelve or or is this a uh, a re a redirection? Yeah, it, it's um, well. I, I would say that um, we're able to do it at NSA what we do because of the revival of that classical Christian education movement. Mm. So we're working with kids who have had something pretty impressive already put into them. But I do think that they're not done yet, um, and um, and so so there's a few things that are happening. Um, one is um, by moving it from high school to college, we're we're um, turning up the heat quite a bit. So we make it pretty intense at NSA. Um, we're, we're turning up the heat quite a bit in a way that it, it, it wasn't ever on them in high school. Um, we are moving them into a different level of critical thinking and a different level of expectation for what they need to be able to come back to us with. There, there are things, answers that would have worked at high school that aren't going to fly here, and we're, we're, so we're turning up the heat. The other, the other thing is... Um, I think that there's something really significant about these years, these years of 18 to 22-ish. Um, I rem- I, I've spoken to uh, a lot of parents who have this expectation that, well, I gave my kid a, cl- a Christian education up until the age of 18. So they've got the foundation. They're ready to go out, and um, and they can go to a secular school now. They can go to a difficult environment now because they've got the foundation, and they're ready for it. Yeah. And, and I always want to press them and just say, look, think in your own life for a moment. And I would just encourage everybody to do this for a moment. Just reflect in your own life to the years 18 to 22 and ask yourself during those years, were those years like, well, basically the concrete was dry, nothing significant happened during those years. I became the person I am somewhere around the years 16 to 17, no big changes, 18 to 22, or did perhaps that and that little period end up having a disproportionate impact on the rest of your life because more often than not what i find is most for most of us somewhere between 18 and 22 is where um, my christian faith either came alive or was radically shaped by a theological you know understanding of oh this is the depth of the gospel and this is the direction i'm going usually there was something pretty pivotal that happened in that moment there is also think in terms of your family life is is um, in terms of who you're married to, what your family is like, is that a result of what was going on in 18 to 22? Or the basic disciplines that you have in your life, or conversely, the, the sins and temptations that you have to wrestle with, how many of those did you track into your life during those really critical years? What I find is that is such an important moment in our life that it really is worthwhile making sure it happens in the context of a really faithful setting where you have people that are really helping you walk through it and get it right. And we see from our students that um, some, one of my favorite um, uh, statistics for, um, for our students, and this is, I don't think many colleges track this, but 
we look at um, we do an alumni survey once our students are 15 years out so 15 years after they graduated what are they doing and one of the most um, remarkable and striking um, data points is that at 15 years after graduation they have a less than 2% divorce rate and you know national average for us is in the 50% you know it's, I think it's more than half and I, I think that that less than 2% really says something about what's going on during these years I think it really is worthwhile to make sure that those four years happen in a setting where you're getting the kind of input and um, and guidance and you know um, that that will actually set you up for a success in life and I I, I believe in uh, a rigorous you know like like I, I don't believe in you want to be in a bubble forever um, I, I did a master's and a doctorate at Oxford um, Oxford University in England and was very 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 challenged I mean that was an intense time sure, I bet. challenge to your faith and all of that but I did it as my master's and doctorate and when I went there I went there um, I was already an elder in my church before I even went I was married and I had five kids when I showed up in Oxford and and with that it was such a challenge to make sure I stayed in the faith kept my mind straight you know like it was it was work to to handle the kind of challenges that were thrown at me I cannot I I I know as an 18-year-old boy, if I had gone into that as an 18-year-old, I don't see me making it. I mean, I I did not have the kind of heft to me necessary to stand up to the kind of um, temptations and everything that was thrown at me at that time. So I I just, I really recommend, I I think that those years are so critical and you can establish such a uh, strong foundation or you can really mess that foundation up. And I think that there's a real benefit for taking the time to have it be within this really rigorous, faithful environment. That, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Ben, uh, before I, uh, before I let you go, um, two quick questions, um, for, for people who want to want to read more about, uh, about this whole, I guess, uh, in the, in the liberal arts traditions or in praise of a liberal arts education, um, the yeah. current uh, the current higher education crisis, if that's not too alarmist a word to use. Yeah, boy, there there are a lot of um, so. There's a book called um, Excellent Sheep that I thought was a, um, j- just for kind of opening your eyes to some of the things that are going on. And that one, uh, it's a professor who's worked in Ivy League schools for a long time who is just pointing out the the shift in education, how um, it is now more. Um, <laughs> He's describing all these kids that are showing up at Harvard and Princeton as these um, excellent sheep. They are um, excellent. They they have been groomed for this moment for their whole life, and they have no clue how to do anything other than do exactly what they're told. Yeah, they're superb test takers. What's that? Superb test takers. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just, I I thought it was a really um, eye-opening read and just really, really... um, really interesting um there's another book called fail you um you the letter like fail university fail you that it's another really um eye-opening look into what's going on um in on the college scene Uh, we actually bought copies and sent it to each of our state um congressmen just to let them know what was going on i don't know that that was very appreciated but um (laughs) then then um I think those would probably be the first places to go. And then, then I think 
I like just going back and looking at um, C.S. Lewis. You know, he's got a great essay called um, uh, Learning During Wartime. You know, it's a lecture, I believe, delivered at Oxford during World War II, asking the question, why do we do this? What's this about? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of Lewis's work is really helpful for um, for understanding what, um, what what is the point of the education. Um, those, I think those are the places I would probably start. Um, and if you haven't done it, then Recovering Lost Tools of Learning by Douglas Wilson, um, that's at the K-12 to letter uh, level. But that's, um, that's the book, book that kind of launched that whole movement and worth, um, worth starting with. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I like Lewis a lot, but I've never, I've never read that essay. That's, yeah, uh, that's really interesting. One. Awesome. And Ben, where can uh, where can people go to find out more about uh, about you and about uh, NSA? And yeah, certainly. Uh, so uh, nsa.edu is the web page. You can find out quite a bit more there. We love having somebody come and visit. It's a wonderful town and really a lot of fun to have to have people visit here. We we got to have your crew out here not too long ago. That's right. Um, yeah, we we recommend um, coming and uh, give us a look. But uh, start with the web page. Awesome. Dr. Ben Merkel, thanks, uh, thanks a lot for being here. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, The Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.